Okay, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 2, and the title of this message this morning is Believing in His Name or His Word, and we'll see why that's the name of it as we get into it. But I want to mention something to you that hasn't got a lot to do with uh, the message today that occurred to me because of some things that I've been dealing with. Um, over the years, I've worked on my own car because I never could really afford to pay mechanics what they charge to do stuff. And I was fortunate to have a dad who taught me how to work on things. And so I grew up with a toolbox and at a very early age, I had my own craftsman tools. And so I tried to learn how to fix everything. I couldn't afford to buy a car when I was old enough to drive. And so I got an old junker that had a broken down engine in it. And so I just rebuilt the thing and, and uh, learned how to do all kinds of stuff. And so that's how I got my first car. And so that's been a pattern all through the years. And I didn't realize as I was coming along how a lot of the things that I was learning how to do um, would tie in with so much of what's going on in terms of Bible prophecy. And I was reminded of something just this past week that uh, made this really fresh in my mind. Part of it had to do with some of the things that Brother Charles has been preaching on out of John's Gospel, Chapter 8, when it comes to the issue of truth. Truth. If you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And he was developing his message around the idea that we are losing our freedom because we have rejected the truth. We've turned away from the truth in this country. And, uh, and so I was going along with my little car, my little Jaguar car, which I got for a song, what you might say, uh, from a man down in South Carolina, and I was able to have something like that because I know how to do my own work. And so all of a sudden I started having problems, and the code that came up on the dash indicated that I had a sensor problem, a sensor, an oxygen sensor problem. And if you've got the right kind of equipment, it will identify it and tell you exactly what to do. And so I go down here to the parts place, and I order that sensor, and it looks like a little spark plug that fits on the exhaust manifold. And you have an upper one and a lower one. And it's a very, very complicated kind of thing and very expensive. That little plug 
was 250 bucks, and there's four of them on that car, four of them. So think about it. I mean, we have gotten ourselves in a situation where we are losing our freedom. And we have no real understanding of how it's being done. But it's being done by the government. It's being done by the government. So you may think that what I'm talking to you about right now has nothing to do with this lesson and has very little to do with the Bible. But I'm going to tell you before I'm through, I hope I get you convinced that it has everything to do with the Bible has everything to do with what we're going to be studying. Uh, as long as we study the Bible. But um, many years ago, <clears throat> evil people that hate God but love themselves and love power and money and control began to achieve their purpose or their goal, which was global government, the new world order. Been hearing that phrase ever since George H. Bush was president of the United States. He's the first one that I ever heard in the political realm to talk about the new world order. And so we have had very little grasp of how this is happening, how this is taking place, how that group of people with this mindset are planning to take over the whole world. And, um, well, of all things, it had to do with oxygen sensors. Do you realize that oxygen sensors have to do with climate control? That it has to do with the environment? Well, it does. Do you realize that for years they've been pushing climate control? And the question is why? Why are they doing it? Well, it's because it's a way of gaining global control over people so that you can't do anything without their permission. In other words, they're going to regulate you and they're going to control you and they're going to make you spend big bucks in this effort to keep you broke if they can. And it's all by design to make people or put people in a situation where you're not going to have the money, you're not going to have the know-how to do anything yourself. You're going to have to look to the government and people that uh, will rob you blind uh, because you have no choice but to go to these individuals the manufacturers and the mechanics, the experts, and know how to do all this stuff. You're not going to know how to do it. And so I go down here and I, I buy this oxygen sensor to fix my 
little car. And uh, I want you to understand that the reason our automobiles right now are so complicated, it's all been turned into computer stuff, all of it. And one little thing that goes wrong on the computer, if it's a relay, if it's a fuse, if it's a sensor, there are hundreds of them on these little cars. And if one of them messes up, you're on the side of the road and you're gonna to have to get a mechanic that has a lot of knowledge to figure out where the problem is because you're not gonna have a way of knowing apart from that expertise. Why is that? Why is that? It's all in the name of climate control. And so in Washington, they pass all these laws and regulations so that not only the manufacturers in the United States have to put all of this stuff on the cars in the name of climate control so that we've got clean air, clean air. And that's what they're selling, clean air. And uh, then when it comes to Japan or Germany or Italy or any other automobile manufacturer, they notify them about their regulations and tell them that they cannot send one car over here unless it's got all this stuff on it. It's got to have every bit of it on there or it will not pass. And so you got this, this really complicated stuff where you now have to go to the mechanic, plug your car into the machine to see if an engine check light is on or anything like that. And if it is, you got to get it fixed or you can't drive. You will not be able to drive unless that check light goes off and everything is working according to regulation. The Lord Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And just like Brother Charles said, we are losing our freedom. And a lot of people in the world haven't the good sense to know in how many ways they are losing it. But we're losing our freedom. And I want you to understand that the car that you've got sitting out there in that parking lot is an example of climate control. And regulators up there in Washington, primarily out of the Democrat and 95% probably of the Republicans, are part of it of taking total control of your life, total control. Well, the days of carburetors and spark plugs and craftsman tools where you would have your own stuff and be able to fix your own stuff, those days are gone. Those days are gone. And now, if you go buy a new car, you have just begun to pay when you pay the purchase price for that thing.
Because when you get out on the highway and you start driving, you're either going to pay for a high-priced warranty, you're going to pay for high-priced insurance. I mean, it's everything, every way you turn, you're going to lose. And it's all because of these Washington regulators. Well, they're trying to do the same thing in the gun industry. They're trying to force the gun manufacturers to put on all these gadgets, safety devices and trigger locks and all these kinds of things, and it's all in the name of control. When the problem really is education, all you have to do is teach people how to be safe with a gun, and you don't need safeties on it. You just teach a, a person, even children, how to handle a gun and be safe, and they can be safe. So that's part of what I do, is teach people gun safety. We teach it here in the school. But the government is trying to take control of the gun industry and force them out of business by making them, changing the laws, changing the rules, you can't have more than a 10-round magazine, for instance, or you can't have a bump stock, or you've got to have a certain kind of trigger that doesn't, you know, automatically fire a second round just by, you know, just the recoil of the gun when it goes off. It, it has the same performance as a, a fully automatic. Well, the gun manufacturers are being forced uh, <clears throat> to produce guns and change their entire factory to meet the specific regulations for firearms nowadays. Do you realize that if you change one thing on a production, once you get it set and you start producing, a particular item, if you change one thing, you're talking about millions of dollars because you have to set up the equipment, the tool and die equipment. It's, it's an, a massive operation. And so the automobile industry and the gun industry, all these things, these liberals are trying to target these things so that they will be ultimately in control of everything in your life. And as we've learned in our long studies of the book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 13, the day is going to come you will not be able to buy or sell without government permission. And right now, they are in the process of taking away the cash, turning everything into digital, they will know everything that you ever buy. Your cell phone will keep you informed as to how well you're being tracked on every single item you buy. They know about it. They know where you are and where you bought it and how much you paid for it. They know exactly how much money you've got in the bank, how much you take out. They know this. If you go downtown, there are cameras watching you everywhere you go. Uh, 
It is unbelievable. If you go up north, how many hundreds and thousands of cameras are all over everywhere watching you, everything that you do, with facial recognition capabilities. It's unbelievable what's going on. But it's total control. So next time you take your car down and you find out that you got to have an oxygen sensor, I want you to remember what Brother Charles was teaching you the other, the other week. Excellent message on climate uh, control. These oxygen sensors, it's all about that. And by the way, I do not believe that a modern car with all of this stuff on it is making us one bit safer in terms of climate and the air, clean air. If you've got a halfway decent mechanic at all from the old school when they had just a carburetor and a spark plug, a distributor and points in the car and things like that, you could adjust it with a little tiny screwdriver exactly right so that you had the proper fuel mixture. And then you knew when it started blowing oil out the tailpipe that you needed a set of rings. You needed to probably get an engine rebuilt or something. But cars run perfectly fine right now today. If you've got a 1940 or 50 automobile that you've restored, it's not damaging the, the climate. So I know this sounds like it's not that related to the message today, but it is in many ways because the Lord said that in the last days we would have a new world order. He sure did. Global control in the last days. So that's part of it. So now we're looking at John's Gospel, chapter 2, and I just want to sort of get you oriented here since I've said all this other uh, stuff. Uh, the wedding at Cana is how this chapter begins. And we've commented on this now several times, and I'm not repeating myself because I don't have additional things to say. I've got a world of things to say. But um, as a teacher, as a Bible teacher, I understand more perfectly than I ever have how important it is to put you in remembrance of things that we have talked about already for reasons of learning. That's how you learn. And we begin this chapter by acknowledging the question, why would Mary and Jesus Christ and the disciples be invited to this big wedding? And so I spent quite a bit of time explaining to you is because the Lord Jesus Christ and his family were the most famous people on the face of the earth. 
and their son, Jesus Christ, would uh, be remembered every single day of our life, either directly or indirectly. This is October the 1st. 2023 that would not be if it were not for what was at the other end of that calculation of 2023 years you got to have the first year before you can have the year that we have right now this is all by God's design because he would come into our world, onto our little tiny planet. He would have the uh, mission of proving his identity. And that's what the whole Bible is really about, as we've learned. The whole Bible is about coming to know who God is so that we can learn from him who we are because apart from God you cannot know the truth about yourself it's only God that can reveal the nature of man and what we're really like behind closed doors and in the dark he has completely exposed what we are really like and what we discover is a horrible message we're monsters of iniquity deserving of death, every one of us. Every baby that's ever been born is born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And as surely as they grow up, if they do not become converted, if they do not become converted and come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then they will continue to be monsters of iniquity that are self-centered to the core, that do not love God nor their neighbor. And this is why the Lord repeatedly said to love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, soul, and strength and thy neighbor as thyself. Why did he say that? Because we don't love either. We don't love God and we don't love our neighbor. Children technically do not even love their parents. And they'll prove it. One of these days, they'll prove it to you. How do they prove it? By not keeping your commandments. The Lord said this. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if you're a parent and you have a child and you say, I don't want you to do this, and they continue to do it anyway, is that proof of their love for you? No, it's the very opposite. It's proof that they love themselves in their own way more than they love you and your way. That's exactly what it proves. The only remedy is coming to know Jesus Christ as one's personal Savior. And when you do that, then you begin to enter into what the Lord would would tell Nicodemus in the next chapter we're going to be studying, chapter 3, if you do not understand earthly things, how shall you understand heavenly 
things. And if your children will not listen to you on earth as an earthly father or mother, then why should they listen to you when it comes to heavenly things and loving their father which is in heaven, apart from whom we cannot live and move and have our being. Life comes from God. But who cares? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Our children don't care. And most adults living in this world could care less that God wrote a book that teaches us how to have everlasting life. And not only that, teaches us how to die and what to expect and also teaches us how to live and make right choices before we do die. That's the importance of this book, the Word of God, inspired by God and preserved by God. No doubt about it. And so the question then, again, is why was the Lord Jesus and the disciples and his mother Mary invited to the wedding? It's because Jesus Christ is the most famous personality that has ever graced the face of this earth. That's why. Because he's the creator God, and he will never let the world forget it. And the reason for his coming was to die in our place on Calvary's cross because every single one of us are deserving of death. Why would he die for you? Why would he die for me? Have we got a problem? You're mighty right. And apart from him, we've got a huge problem because we don't know any more about living than we do about dying. And we certainly do not know anything about dying and what comes after you're talking about recognizing your helplessness as a human being. When you go over here to the hospital and they tell you there's nothing else they can do, and they give you the advice to go ahead and call your family in because you're getting ready to leave this world, I don't care how much you want that not to be true. It is true, and you're going to leave this world. That's right. And as you learn in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and I think it's verse 8, when it comes to that war, that is, that of keeping your soul in your body, there's no discharge in that war. In other words, you can't say, well, I'm giving this battle up. I'm going to go ahead and keep my life. I'm going to keep my spirit in my body. You do not have that authority or power to keep your soul in your body. It's appointed unto man once to die and then to judgment. And the only hope of ever getting out of the box that somebody's going to put us in one of these days is Jesus Christ who said, I am the resurrection and the life. If a person does not believe what I just said in the whole world, I would like for them to sit down and explain to me how they're going to get out of the box without Jesus Christ. 
there is no way to get out of that box. There is no discharge in that war. It's going to happen. And so our hope is Jesus Christ. And so when Christ came into the world, he had an invested interest in teaching us why he was going to go to the cross, be crucified on a hill in broad open daylight with hundreds of thousands of people witnessing the execution. As Paul said to Festus and Agrippa, this did not happen in a corner. What did he mean? He meant that Jesus Christ was crucified and the whole world knew about it. And that's why uh, Pilate commanded that that notice be put on over his head on the cross, nailed there in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin is because that event, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, is the most documented historical event in all of human history. And what you just heard is a pretty profound statement. And that's why I repeat it, because it's profound. What happened 2,000 years ago that gives us this date that we have today is the most profound event in all of human history. It's the coming of the Creator God into the world who spent 33 and a half years proving His identity. And so His fame went throughout all Syria. Great multitudes followed Him for three and a half concentrated years of ministry, which is what the four Gospels is primarily confined to. The four Gospels very briefly touches on his birth. It very quickly gets into his life. He mentions one thing about when he was 12 years old, how that he was in the synagogue, uh, both hearing and, and asking questions for the purpose of providing the correct answer. They were rhetorical questions that he was asking because he wanted to provide an answer they didn't have, and he did. But then it jumps very quickly into John the Baptist announcing a full-grown man, 30 years old, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Who could that be? Well, that's what the whole Bible is dedicated to teaching. Paul said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God is not some mystical, philosophical, uh, nebulous concept. Jesus Christ came into this world and proved his own identity. 
by many infallible proofs. That's what Luke said. Many infallible. What is infallible? Well, infallible means you can't refute it. It cannot be refuted. What we're doing here at Calvary Memorial Church is so important. Coming to these meetings is so important because it's here that you're given an opportunity to study the Bible yourself to find out if these things are true, just like the Bereans were more noble than those from Thessalonica. If you ever hear anything from this pulpit that you think is doubtful, well, all you have to do is go home and try to prove it's wrong. Well, you're going to have quite a, a challenge in proving it wrong because it can't be done. Because it's self-evident truth. You can't disprove self-evident truth. And so, um, we went from that in our studies in chapter 2 to... Um, what we read in verse 13 concerning the Jews' Passover, the Jews' Passover. And what I pointed out to you was that is uh, the Lord's way for people who study the Bible to discover the problem that he's now getting ready to address. Because what went on back then is what's going on today. And that is the conversion contest where people all over this world are trying to convert God into being the kind of person we want him to be. Rather than believing the message of the Bible, when the Lord said, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, but I want you to be converted so that my thoughts will be your thoughts and my ways will be your ways. And so I'm going to convert you to be the way I am rather than allow you to convert me to be the way you want me to be. Well, we experience this with our children all the time. They want parents that think the way they do. And so when they say, well, what's wrong with my girlfriend or what's wrong with my boyfriend or why do I have to come in at 10 o'clock? Why can't I have the keys to the car? They're trying to convert you into being what they want you to be as a parent. But what are you trying to do? You're trying to convert them into listening to mama and daddy because they know what's best for you. And so there's a conversion contest in our own homes. And so if we do not understand earthly things, folks, how in the world are we going to understand heavenly things? It's a conversion contest. The whole Bible is about a conversion contest. We don't like God the way he has revealed himself to be. We want him to be what we want him to be. And this is why Paul warned the Corinthians 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about preaching another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. Rather than the true Jesus of the Bible as he has revealed himself to be, the true spirit, the Holy Spirit, that convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and the gospel, which the Apostle Paul wrote to Galatians and said, if any man preach any other gospel than that ye have received, then let him be accursed, because there is no other gospel. Well, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel carries the idea of good news. Well, what is the good news? I'll tell you what the good news is. You don't have to go to hell. You can have everlasting life. But no man cometh to the Father but by me. That is Christ. That's what people don't want to hear. They want heaven... And they want heaven on earth the way they want it to be. They want to go to heaven their way. They want to mix it up so that whatever they love on earth, God is going to love. And after all, we're good people. And he's good. And I'm good. So what's the problem? Well, if that's our view, then why did he die on the cross? It doesn't make sense. Well, why did he die? Well, if he died in my place, then was it just to show how much he loved me? I don't think so. That's a, that's a byproduct of the reason he died. He died because that's what we deserved. We deserved to burn in hell forever. And if God, if we cause him to fail in his purpose through our free will rebellion, then the truth is we would hate God for all eternity to come and never change. We would oppose him in heaven the same way we oppose him on earth. And that's the message of the Bible. It's a horrible message, but it's a true message. But it can be the gospel. It can be the good news because when a person believes that they deserve to burn in hell forever, you learn that salvation is not even something you can buy or work for. It's the gift of God. He'll give it to you as a free gift if you'll just believe it to be true and act what you say you believe. If you don't act it out, what you say you believe, then you don't believe it. Every person lives what they believe to be right or wrong or true or false. It is impossible to believe something and then not act according to the belief. If you do not act according to what you say you believe, then you don't believe it. 
Does that make sense? <laughs> I hope so. Because that's what the Bible teaches. That's why the Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't just say you love me and then not keep my commandments because that's a lie. If you love me, keep my commandments. We need to practice this with our children, with our acquaintances. But most especially, we need to practice it in our own life and our relationship to God. So the 13th verse in this chapter says, The Jews' Passover, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And I pointed out to you that this was a, a very negative statement. Because the Passover did not belong to the Jews. If you go to uh, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11, you will learn something about the Passover. Because there it's called the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. But you know what the Jews had done? The same thing these Baptist churches and all other kind of churches in this community have done. They've turned the church into their way of thinking. Their Passover. Well, what is Passover? Well, the Passover had to do with deliverance from bondage in Egypt. It had to do with salvation. That's what it had to do with. And so every church around here has got their own view of what it means to be saved. But the question is, which view is right? I submit to you, and you have to prove it wrong. The burden will be on you to do it, but I don't think you can. Most of the churches in this county, and I'm telling you this because it's the truth. If you go and you sit in there and you listen to what is said from the pulpit, what you're going to find out is they've got their own version of Jesus Christ. And they are converting him into something that they can conveniently live with without it disturbing very much of their life. And that's exactly right. And preachers do not want to lose congregation members by telling them the truth for the simple reason that Paul said, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Well, the preachers don't want to become the enemy of the congregation. Because if, if people leave because they don't like what they're hearing, then that's going to cut down on the revenue. The revenue. And so the big drive in churches all over the world is large congregations. Why? The very thing that we're going to read in this chapter right here. Merchandise. They've turned the church of God into merchandise. Something to make money with. And that's what this is all about right here in this passage. Look at verse 14. And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple 
and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money. Notice how he's talking about money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And I'm telling you that in this town this morning, there are preachers that have turned the house of God into a house of merchandise. You've got churches up the street. Parking lot is full. And you come down here and you look at what this is in this room right here. <laughs> you look at what the empty seats that will be here in the next service. It won't be packed out. It won't be full. It ought to be. Why do we have empty seats? I can tell you why. It's because the truth is offensive. People don't want to hear why Jesus Christ really died on the cross of Calvary. It isn't because he had a problem. It's because we do. He died in our place. Why? I mean, when he died, did he die a certain percentage of him die? I mean, did he almost die? Did he die like 80% of what he was? Or did he die 100% of everything that he was? Did Jesus Christ die 100%? Did they not bury him? Isn't that 100% dead? Well, if he died in my place, then I'm 100% a sinner. 100%. I cannot, that means that I cannot agree with God on every point. Well, to be saved, you have to agree with him on every point. Well, how do I know that? Because it's the first message in the Bible. Eve did not rob a bank and then go out and steal a bunch of stuff and throw out some curse words and slap her neighbor. What was the fall over? One thing. And that's what God told her. He said, of every tree of the garden you can freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the day you eat of that is the day you're surely going to die that's my paraphrase and so she did one thing what's the first message in the Bible the first message in the Bible is that we can't keep God's commandments in the smallest thing that conflicts with our free will and what we want that's the first message of the Bible if a person were to be here in this church and hear that statement made and say I don't believe that I'm going to tell you something you're going to have a big problem proving it with the book you can maybe prove it by your own private way of thinking with your own private interpretation but you can't prove it by putting your finger on the verse and prove that that's wrong can't do it
And so the Lord goes on to speak about how the zeal of his house had eaten him up. It ate him up. In verse 17 it says, And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Well, that reminded me of what Paul said concerning the um, the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter ten. I mean uh, uh, Romans chapter ten. I said Hebrews. I meant Romans. Um, Romans chapter ten says this, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. That's like children who disobey their parents. They don't believe in their parents' righteousness. They believe in their own righteousness. And they've got a zeal concerning their own righteousness, but they don't have a zeal concerning yours. They're ignorant of your zeal. Ignorant of it. And that's exactly what the Lord is talking about here when he talked about the zeal of his house had eaten him up. Sometimes children do that to their parents. It just eats them up. I see people all the time that are just miserable in their home. Miserable in their home. And the reason is because their zeal for right doing is not appreciated. They're dealing with somebody that is ignorant concerning your zeal. But they're full of their zeal to do exactly what they want to do. When the Lord Jesus came into the world and went into the temple, that's what he found. He found people that were zealous. But it was not concerning what he wanted. It was zeal according to the way they wanted it to be. Is that clear enough or not? This is how you understand what's going on right here. There's not a different way of understanding it. This is what he's describing. It had become the Jews' Passover. They had converted salvation, which is what the Passover is about, into how they wanted to understand salvation. And I'll tell you how the churches want to explain it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you just walk down the aisle and tell the preacher that you agree with that, then the preacher will pronounce you saved, and that's exactly what they'll do. Without any conversion, without any repentance, without any brokenness of heart, they will take you and dump you in the pool, baptize you, and pronounce you saved. 
based on just a claim. I know God, and I'm saved, and never preach one sermon on the false profession of faith. Never preach one sermon on the fact that the Lord knoweth them that are His. Never preach one sermon on those that claim to know Him, but they've never heard a single message on what it means to be truly saved, which is converted, converted. A radically changed life. Isn't that what every parent would like to see sometimes in dealing with their children? Is a radically changed life. So that the child comes in and says, Dad, uh, what do you think about this? What do you think I should do? And the dad explains it, and the child says, well, that sounds like the thing that I need to do. Thank you, dad, for giving me that advice. That's not what we encounter so often as a parent. What we encounter is children that have a self-centered nature not a God-centered nature, nor a parent-centered nature, but a self-centered nature. That's what we need to be saved from, is self-centeredness. Narcissism, being in love with ourselves. So, that's what this passage is really all about. Wow, our time is gone. Yeah. That was almost an accident, me looking at my phone. I mean, at my watch. Our time is gone. We'll come back next week and look at this some more. So there's still so much more in here to examine and understand. So let's let's do that. George, back there, dismiss us, brother.